Um, if you're new, uh, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm the worship pastor here, and I am a planner. I am a planner. I like to know what's coming and have a plan in place for every possible situation that may come my way. Anyone else like me? You like to plan out your life? Yes, I know some planners right here. Um, who kind of just likes to wing it? Are there any just, let's wing it in here? Yes, I affirm that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, some of you like to wing it. I do not understand that. But hey, that's why we're part of a body together. So I say I'm a planner, but actually I'm a recovering over planner. I'm a recovering over planner. So before Ashley and I started dating, um, I was in a season of just trying to discern the Lord's direction for my life. So I sat down one day to chart out every possible path that Ashley and my relationship could take. We were co-workers and friends at the time, but the thought was, if we started down the path of dating, what would my next move be if this happened? So some of you have heard about the infamous flow chart, so here it is. So this is my long-term planning before I'm even dating my wife. So here it is. We're right here, we could choose dating, or we could choose to stop hanging out. If we chose to date, which we obviously did, we can go engagement or eject, which is the most gracious way to say break up. But by God's grace, we went from engagement, then we can choose marriage or break it off. Um, if we eject, there's other possible outcomes, and these are the next steps of, of how I would handle our relationship. So I thought this was a good idea. And honestly, it was helpful for me. The problem was, I showed it to Ashley. <laughs> Before we even started dating, I showed Ashley, this is how our friendship could play out. If you are considering dating someone, do not do this. Bad idea. By God's grace, Ashley married me anyway. We're nine years in, and I'm still a recovering over-planner. So more recently, and this is a much healthier example, I think, uh, back in 2016, I was in another season of just asking some questions about my life, my vocation, location, purpose, and I heard someone suggest to view your life in thirds. So you break it down into 30. So he, here's the, the broken down. So 30, the first 30 years of your life are really all about preparation. You're becoming the person God's designed you to be, so be super intentional about learning, developing, and gleaning from others who have gone before you. Many in this room are in this first season of preparation, so prepare well. But then the next 30 years become years of just pouring out. Like life just gets overwhelming, you've got jobs, kids, bills. You're really just pouring out yourself in loving service to anyone that the Lord puts in front of you. And then your later years really become about passing on. You've, you've taken all that God's built into you, all the resources he's given you, and really your life becomes about just passing that on to the next generation of men and women who will carry the message and mission of Jesus forward, right? Who will carry it beyond where you can go. So preparation, some of you are there. Pouring out, some of you, myself included, are here. Passing on. And then this model ends with pleasures forevermore, which is the destination for every believer in Jesus, regardless of how many years he gives us here. 
So this big picture, for me, is helpful to frame out my life. I think through all my roles and responsibilities, my passions and desires through this framework. I use this framework to plan forward. At the beginning of every year, I sit down in January and just kind of work through with the Lord, what would you have me do this year to continue pouring out into the people around me? And then at the end of the year, I look back and evaluate. You know, Lord, where did you help me grow this year? What opportunities for growth still lie ahead? So all of my personal planning for life and ministry takes place within this framework. If it's helpful, take it. If it's not, move on. This is just one model of how we as believers can plan out our lives. So the reality is planning can be really helpful, right, Tim? Planning can be helpful, provided it's set in the context of God's sovereign control, not our illusion of control, right? I can plan out my days, but more than likely, is my plan going to unfold? No. The Lord is going to take me where he desires me to be. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So our plans can be held lightly. Proverbs 19 adds, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So I, what I glean from these verses are, go ahead, plan. Planning can be helpful. But let's make our plans trusting that no matter how wise or brilliant we think our plans are, it's God's purposes and God's plans that are best, right? And we submit to his ways, not our own. So now, you may be asking, what does any of this have to do with Romans chapter 15? And I'm glad you asked, because in today's text, we see Paul doing exactly what we've been talking about. As Paul draws towards the close of his letter to the Christians at Rome, he feels it's important to look back and kind of sum up his ministry to date. But then he looks forward and shares his plans for moving forward in ministry. So at this point in our text, Paul is in his 50s, more than likely mid-50s. So he's in, in our model, the pouring out phase, right? And he's been engaged in ministry following Jesus for 20 plus years. So this morning, as we spend time looking at Paul, how he poured out his life and made plans for his ministry, my prayer is that the Lord would help us make plans to be faithful in ours. Is that a good plan for today? All right. Hey, let me pray once again, and then we will uh, get into our text. Father, thank you that your ways are higher than ours. Thank you that though you give us the, the wisdom to make plans, we can do that trusting in your sovereign control. So Lord, today through this text in Romans 15, would you speak to each of us specifically, directly, impactfully, and would you lead us into whatever our future may be? For your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. Romans 15, verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, 
brothers and sisters, he's writing to the church at Rome, that you yourselves are three things, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So Paul starts out by affirming the Christians at Rome. You are full of goodness. Basically, he's saying, look at the good works God is doing among you. Then he says, you're filled with knowledge. It's amazing, Paul is, is writing, how much the Lord has taught you, how much he's implanted into you. And now, how incredible, Paul says, that you're able to instruct one another. God's word is not just sitting static in your minds, Paul says, but you're able to use it, to employ it to impart it into one another's lives. And Paul says, for these things and more, I am satisfied about you. And for the record, uh, Paul feels the same way about these Christians in Rome as we, many part pastors, feel about you. It's amazing to see the good work that God is doing in each of your lives. It's amazing to get a front row seat to see what he's doing. Personally, I'm continually blown away by just how faithfully and humbly you desire to know God's word and then to use God's word. Not just here on Sundays, but in small groups, in regeneration groups, in one-on-one conversations. God's word is so important to you all and you desire to walk in obedience to what he says. For that, I am satisfied about you. You know, you make my work a joy, and I just love getting to partner with each one of you in ministry in the different ways that the Lord has called us. Paul says it, I'm satisfied about you, and I echo that. We are satisfied about you. But uh, the church in Rome, along with the church in Lubbock, is not yet perfected, so Paul continues, verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. And if you've read Paul or if you've been with us in Romans, you know that to be the case. Boldness in writing to remind us of the gospel. He goes on. Because of the grace given me by God. So what grace did God give him? He says in verse 16, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified, by the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes of himself essentially as a priest of the gospel. Paul's life is one of worship and witness. It's a priestly life of worship and witness. He offers himself up to God. He offers the Gentile believers that have come to faith through his ministry. He offers them up to God. And the reality is that we too, as believers in Jesus, are priests, right? 1 Peter 2 says we're a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I, regardless of our background, our experience, our education, if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you are a priest of the gospel. You're a minister of Jesus Christ commissioned by him to live a life of worship and witness. You don't become a minister by joining a church staff. You don't become a minister by going to seminary or obtaining a license. 
You become a minister the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And it's his grace alone, Paul says, that makes us ministers. Nothing more, nothing less. His grace alone. So family, I need us to hear this clearly this morning. Every member of this Melanie Park body is a minister of the gospel. Every member is a minister. Can you say that with me? Every member is a minister. And not just those who have gone through the official membership process, but you become a member of the church the moment you put your faith in Christ. You and I are ministers of the gospel. And although we each receive the same grace that makes us a minister, we're each commissioned and sent to a different place. So same grace, different place. Paul was sent by Jesus to plant churches to reach Gentiles. You're sent by Jesus to be a minister of the gospel where you live, where you work, and where you play. God has given each one of us the same grace that makes us a minister, but where that ministry plays out depends on God's sovereign placement of you. And how that ministry plays out for each of us depends on how God has uniquely wired you, your personality, your giftings, your background. So some of us, like Paul, will minister as pastors or teachers or elders or church planters or cross-cultural missionaries, but others of us will have ministries that play out in our homes, right? Are there any missionary moms in this room today? Our home life is a mission field. All of us are born, I don't know if you know this, with unbelieving kids, right? Others of us, uh, our ministries will play out in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, where we live as joy-filled, grace-abounding, hospitable, and kind ministers of the gospel. So same grace, different place. But make no mistake about it, we are all ministers of the gospel. So my question for you is, do you see yourself that way? A minister of the gospel. Let's look at verse 17 together. Paul goes on to explain how gospel ministry actually works. Like, like what dynamics are at play when we live out our lives as, as ministers of the gospel? Verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So how does ministry work? Paul reminds us. He says, Christ accomplished his work through me. Paul says, through my words and my deeds, so not one to the exclusion of the other, Words and deeds empowered by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit uses our words to explain the deeds and uses our deeds to demonstrate the words. Through these dynamics at play, Paul says, Christ has accomplished much. And 
the reality is Christ is still accomplishing much even today through these same dynamics. He accomplishes his work through you, through your words and your deeds. So as we're living our lives in whatever location he's placed us, we're proclaiming the gospel verbally with our words as we demonstrate the gospel tangibly with our deeds. And the Spirit of God brings the power to make both our words and our deeds come alive, right? He makes our words come alive with truth, and he makes our deeds shine bright with light. Christ does the work through our words and our deeds, empowered by the Spirit of God. And the same Spirit that lived in Paul lives in you and I if we're in Christ. And he is ready and able to work in us and through us. Amen to that? So family, let's be faithful in our day-to-day ministries to use our words to proclaim the gospel as we live our lives in a way that demonstrates the gospel. So Paul, continuing to sum up his ministry, gives us the specific geographic parameters of where his ministry took place. Look at verse 19, the second part of 19. Here's where Paul was placed. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So here's the map. This was Paul's mission field. And in a succinct and very humble fashion in the verse we just read, Paul is summarizing the last 10 years of his ministry, a strenuous, difficult, challenging ministry. So for Paul, over the last 10 years, he went on three incredibly hard missionary journeys. He he essentially made this circuit three times, over which he traveled 8,000 miles, planted at least 14 different churches in key cities. You know, Paul would go to populous, influential areas and plant churches there. And through those churches, he would train up other leaders who would then go plant more churches in the more rural, less populated areas. Paul was a pioneer missionary extraordinaire. And looking back at his last 10 years of of difficult ministry, he has a deep sense of fulfillment in all that Christ has accomplished through him. Paul had been faithful, and Christ had made his work fruitful. So one might ask, um, what would drive a man to devote a decade of his life to such a difficult, challenging ministry? And Paul gives us the answer conveniently in verse 20. He says, and thus, I make it my ambition my drive, my desire. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, and then he quotes Isaiah 52, verse 15, which seems to be his life verse. This is what drove him, Isaiah 52, 15. He says, those who have never been told of him will see And those who have never heard will understand. That's what drove Paul. That those who have never heard of him will hear, and those who have never seen him will see. 
And then verse 22, he tells the Christians at Rome specifically, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Basically, he's saying, I've been kind of busy. The Lord has been using me to accomplish much in this specific geographic location. So Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel where the truth of Jesus had not yet been heard. Specifically to plant churches in Gentile contexts. His plan, Paul's plan, was to spend his life fully engaged, 110% in, playing his part well on the mission of God. This was Paul's ambition, his desire. Nothing drove him more. So if I could ask you, what is your ambition? What do you you desire? What drives you most? And a question that came to me this week, thinking through this myself, maybe it was the spirit bringing conviction, but is your ambition God-sized or is your ambition human-sized? Is your ambition to play your part well in the mission of Jesus today? Are you fully engaged? 110% in? So you know, you and I probably aren't called by Jesus to reach a continent like Paul, but how about a neighborhood? How about a group in your office? How about your kids at home? What is your ambition? So in Romans 15, we see Paul looking back and he sums up his life in ministry to date. If you were to look back and sum up your life and ministry to date, what would that be like? Over the last decade, think, have have I been faithful to God's calling on my life to be a minister of the gospel? Maybe a decade's too long. How How about this past year? Have I allowed Christ to work in me and through me to accomplish his purposes? And how about right now? Does gospel ministry drive you? Are you fully engaged, 110% in? Is your ambition God-sized? So if so, praise the Lord. And I know there's a ton of people in this room who are fully in, 110% viewing their lives as ministers on the mission of God. But others of us, and I'd actually put myself in this category right now, our ambition is not God-sized. We're a bit off-mission, you might say. Maybe I'm 70, 80% in, but not 110% in. And you know, if that's you, That's okay. That's okay. We are where we are, right? God isn't shocked. God isn't surprised. God sees you. He knows you. He loves you in your 70, 60, 50, 40, 30% engagement. Because remember, at the end of the day, this is always and only about God's grace that makes us a minister. Verse 15, remember, because of the grace given me, Paul says, I've become a minister of the gospel. This is not about you. This is not about me. 
This is not about our success or our failure. This is not about you doing great things for God. It's not even about you making up for lost time. This is about you. This is about me receiving God's grace once again. Today, right now, in this moment. Receiving his grace, allowing him to work in you so that he can work through you. So perhaps if there's maybe some conviction or just some guilt right now, maybe the response is to simply ask the Lord today, right now, to overwhelm you with his grace, to help you experience once again, more and more, all that he's done for you in the gospel. Allow God today, right now, to change you from within so that maybe by his grace he would propel you out. So Paul kind of shifts in verse 23 after summing up his ministry in verse 14 to 22. He then looks ahead and shares his plans for ministry moving forward. So let's take a look together. Verse 23. In this last part, we'll move a lot faster if you're getting concerned about time at all. Verse 23. But now, Paul's sharing his plans moving forward. Since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So if you want to read more about that story, that's 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, talking about how these newly converted Gentiles see a need that there's poor Christians in Jerusalem and they collect as much money as they can, give it to Paul, and Paul's on mission to deliver it to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, pleased to collect the offering, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So if we were to break down what we just read, Paul basically lists out for us his travel itinerary. So currently he's in, he's in Corinth writing this letter. He says, I plan to first go to Jerusalem to deliver the offering. And then from Jerusalem, I plan to go to Rome to see you for, he says, just a little moment. I'm just passing through. And then he says, from Rome, I plan to go to Spain, another place where Christ has not yet been named. That, Paul says, is my plan, his pioneer church planting ministry. So that, Paul says, is my plan for ministry moving forward. And he then invites the Christians at Rome to partner with him. So we've, we've already seen that Christians partner with one another through giving, right? We give our resources to those in need. Paul here spells out another way that Christians partner together in ministry. So look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. Prayers to God on my behalf. And then he asked them to pray for two specific things. Verse 31. First, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And secondly, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So for Paul, and for us, planning and prayer go hand in hand, right? As ministers of the gospel, filled with the grace of Jesus, empowered by the spirit of Jesus, we step out into the places to which we've been called with ambition, 110% committed, God-sized mission. We step out into those spaces with a plan, right? We have a plan. Following Jesus, we set plans in place to accomplish the mission he set before us. But even more so, we step out into those places, not just with a plan, but with prayer. So we make our plans. We strategize. We make plans to even strengthen our community with one another. Right? Verse 24 said that Paul wanted to enjoy their company and to help one another along the way. So we plan strategies, we plan for community, we make plans to give of our resources to help those in needs, to help those in need. So planning can be extremely helpful, but we always make our plans in a climate of prayer, trusting God to use us however he sees fit, resting in his will, not our ways, relying on the strength and wisdom that only he can provide. We don't hold fast to our plans. We hold fast to God in prayer. Came across a line this week that I thought was helpful, so I want to share it with you. Somebody wrote somewhere at some point, every prayer we pray should be a variation on the theme, your will be done. Let me say that again. Every prayer we pray should be a variation on the theme, your will be done be done. So for Paul, planning and prayer went hand in hand. For us, the same is true. We pray for our interactions with other believers, verse 31, we see Paul doing that. We pray for unity as believers. We pray together, verse 30 says, as a community. We pursue the heart of God together. We listen to the voice of God together. We make our requests to, to God together, all the while resting in God's will with our hearts settled and secure in God's peace. Verse 33, Paul concludes, may the God of peace be with you all, amen. So this morning we've seen Paul looking back on his life and summing up his ministry to date. Right? Have you seen that? If you haven't seen that, I think, I think you've been taking a nap, which is good and helpful. Naps and rest are good. So you're welcome for being that boring that you got to get some rest. So Paul has summed up his life in ministry to date, and he's shared his plan for ministry moving forward. 
we've also implied that it's a helpful practice for us to do that, to look back on our ministry and to make plans for moving forward. But there's one more angle we need to see this morning that brings it all together. So there was a moment towards the end of our Lord Jesus' time here on earth when he looked back and summed up his ministry, and then he shared his plans for ministry moving forward. And this moment that we're about to look at is the moment that makes all the difference. So turn, if you would, to John chapter 20. We'll look at verse 19 through 22. So To set the context as you're turning there, the morning of this conversation, Jesus miraculously rose from the dead, all right? So it's fresh, it's raw. Jesus was not here, and now he's here. Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus at the tomb, and she's run to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. Yet the disciples are still all huddled up, hiding behind locked doors in fear. So Jesus, as he so often does, he pursues them. He finds them and enters in to their fear. So let's look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. So does that sound familiar? May the God of peace be with you all. Peace be with you, Jesus says. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. So apparently these disciples are like us. We need to hear that over and over and over again, that the Prince of Peace is with us. So now here's where Jesus looks, looks back and sums up his life and ministry to date. John 20, 21, he says, the Father has sent me. So in five words, he sums up his life and his ministry. That Jesus, the one who from eternity past, dwelling in perfect community with the Father and the Spirit, looked out and saw a world fractured and broken by sin, was sent by the Father. Jesus willingly came. He came to a specific place on a specific mission. He stepped into time. He took on a body. He lived a perfect life so he could die a substitutionary death, and he rose for our justification to reconcile us to the Father and to renew all of creation for his glory. The Father has sent me, Jesus said. That was my ministry. And oh, how faithful I was, Jesus says, to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled his ministry for those disciples back then, and he fulfilled his ministry for you and I today. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, then he shifts. He shifts and he shares his plan for ministry Moving forward, he says, I have sent you. You and I, disciples of Jesus, we are Jesus' plan for ministry moving forward. He has commissioned each one of us 
to be ministers of the gospel. He has placed us exactly where he needs us to be, and he promises to give us his spirit to accomplish his work through us. Jesus then tells the disciples, John 20, 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Church family, would we feel the breath of Jesus, the closeness of Jesus this morning, and receive his voice that says, here's the Holy Spirit for you. Use it. Allow the Spirit of God to work actively in you and to work actively through you. So here's what we need to see and feel this morning, family. If there's nothing else you get, get this. Jesus fulfilled his ministry as the sent one for you so that your ambition could be a life on mission with him. Let me say that again. Jesus fulfilled his ministry for you so that your ambition could be a life on mission with him. Fully engaged, 110% in. He did it for you. He's sending you. So in closing, as the band comes up, uh, we're going to sing one more song together. And it's really a prayer. It's a prayer that, Lord, would you send me? Would you send me wherever you desire me to be? So as we're singing the song, I'd encourage you to stand and sing it if you want. But if you just need to sit and use this time to talk with the Lord, I'd invite you to do that as well. And maybe your question is, Lord, in response to all that you've done for me, what is one next step you might have me take for you? So as we sing, spend some time praying and asking Jesus to show you and then make some plans for your ministry moving forward.